Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of the Bastards of Boston Baseball. We want to welcome in any new listeners who are joining us for the first time tonight. We're happy to have you aboard. For those of you who have been here from the start, you already know the drill. We live and die by this team just like all of you, and we make no apologies for that. I'm your host, Jason Kelly. I'm coming to you from Canton, Massachusetts. You can find me on Twitter at Color of the Iris. You can find our main podcast account at Bastards underscore Boston. Joining me tonight from the city of Reading, Massachusetts is Nick Face. Nick, how are you? Thank you, Jason. Doing well. Thank you for the introduction. Cool. And where can people find you on Twitter? They can find me at FaceTheFacts15. Awesome. And also joining us tonight... From Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, by way of Wyndham, Maine, is Terry Cushman. Terry, how's it going? I am absolutely flabbergasted that our Boston Red Sox swept the Toronto Blue Jays, who were like white hot coming in, by the way. They won like 12 out of 17, something insane like that. All their best pitchers were pitching well. And, uh, and then Red Sox, I don't know, they just... They ran the table, swept them four to nothing. Quick check of the standings here. Uh, Red Sox are now, believe it or not, they are in third place after being in the basement for a few weeks. And they are seven and a half games back from the Tampa Bay Rays, who I don't think lost the game this recent series. So they are 26 and six unstoppable and i ironically i think it was the blue jays that tuned them up a little bit if i'm not mistaken so yeah we're uh we had a great series and we're we're gonna face philly next who's a complete mess at the moment even though they got back bryce harper so but tonight i mean you had bale and gosman who would have bet it was gosman would be the guy getting shelled Absolutely. And speaking of betting, uh, attention, Massachusetts and Connecticut listeners. We have an awesome limited time promo for new DraftKings users. Deposit and place a $5 wager on any sport and get $150 instantly added to your account in bonus bets, win or lose. All you have to do is use our code BASTARDS at sign up to redeem. Using our code BASTARDS is a great way to support the pod. So if you don't yet have a DraftKings account, do us a solid and sign up with the code BASTARDS and place that first bet. New customers only, 21 plus and physically present in MA and CT. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-327-5050. Valid one offer per customer. Minimum $5 deposit and $5 wager required. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets and expire seven days after being awarded. See full terms at DraftKings.com. So as those of you who have been tuning into the midweek show know, we like to do our five reasons why on this show. And for the first time, we're talking about five reasons why the Red Sox come away with a series sweep, not just a series win. We kind of had an up and down record going for most of the season here on the uh, midweek show. So we finally get to talk about not just a win, but a full sweep and of the Toronto Blue Jays, no less. So that's uh, that's pretty awesome. So again, we do our five reasons why. So we're going to start at number five on the list. And I'm going to bring Emmanuel Valdez 
to the table on this one. Uh, a guy who we got in the Christian Vasquez trade, he was coming into this season, he was your number 17 ranked prospect. So not a top 10 guy, not a top five guy, but due to injuries and due to circumstance, he finds himself up with a big league club and he's making an impact. And this series not just made an impact with his bat, but with his legs and his glove. He went four for 12 in the series, uh, hit his first big league homer, had his first big league stolen base. And the book on Valdez has always been that, look, this guy can hit. He's a good hitter. He's he's going to mash despite the the smaller frame. He's only, you know, five, nine, but the guy can hit. And you saw it with that home run uh, on Monday, dead center. I mean, it was just a blast. Um, the question's always been the defense. And the first couple of games when he come, he came up, he, the defense was a little shaky and it didn't look great. And a lot of people were saying, you know, this guy's got a career as a DH. I think we teased, you know, can he play first base despite the, the smaller frame? Because you got to do something with a guy that doesn't have the best glove at second base. But he looked so vastly improved in this series. He looked much more confident defensively and he just looks confident at the plate, too. Um, he's got a good swing. He's got a ton of pop in that bat. And this is a guy who could be a big impact bat for you. And we were talking about him before we went on the air. And I said, you know, I just kind of wish he was a right-handed hitter because you have so many good left-handed hitters in this lineup right now. But in a way, it's like a, you know, embarrassment of riches. You got so many good left-handed hitters in this lineup. And, hey, it's working. You took on a good Toronto team and you – blasted them this series and he was a he was a small part of that so uh good to see out of a 24 year old prospect hopefully he keeps it up um if i'm christian arroyo i'm shaking in my boots a little bit because his job's not looking so secure these days but uh absolutely great to see from valdez and i just hope he keeps getting the playing time because that's a good way that he'll develop uh nick what are your thoughts on emmanuel valdez doesn't that christian vasquez trade just look better and better by the day just you've got two great catchers right now between McGuire and Wong that are just hanging down the fort right now. Christian Vasquez, who? <laughs> but anyway, it's just one thing before we jump into the Valdez. Red Sox last season were three and sixteen against the Toronto Blue Jays. We just won more games this season than we did at any point last year. So major plus. In a way, there's more than five reasons for why this team did so well against uh, the Blue Jays um, this past week, but. Just with Valdez, just over his last seven games, a couple different things that I looked at, his seven-game sample, he's um, seven for 22. He's hitting 333 right now for the season. Just a guy that's getting the opportunity. You have your injuries going down with so many different guys, Christian Arroyo really just not producing that much. And in a little bit of a sample size he's had in the past week, he's getting a little bit better. But still, I like Valdez as my second baseman right now. I think they make it work, even with the glove not being really MLB ready. I think there's things they can work on and things they can get around with him being kind of that placeholder guy right there. But lots of positives from Valdez. I just want to see him continue and adjust with Major League Pitching. Great series. Let's keep it going. Terry, what do you think? He's been impressive. He's absolutely been impressive. And like Nick said, we did get him uh, in the Christian Vasquez trade last July. Already forgot who the second player was, but Valdez was, if you want to call him that, the prize of that package. 
24 years old. Coming into today, he had played in eight games, registered at least one hit in seven out of those eight games. Today, he was 0 for 3, so it's 7 out of 9 now. Still a very impressive start uh, for you know our newly acquired middle infield prospect. Not surprised he's already gone deep in 2021 and 2022 combined. That was mostly double A and triple A for him in the minors. 54 combined home runs. So this is a guy who's hit, you know, who's a basically a true power hitter. I, I think that would translate to be at least an 18 to 20 home run a year player at the major league level, should he, you know. Should he live up to his potential? Last year, uh, across the minors, that included uh, a start in AA, then uh, some time with the Astros AAA affiliate, and then with the Boston uh, AAA affiliate, Worcester. 296 batting average with a 376 OBP. Right away, Within the first few games, the defense, obviously an issue, as you guys uh, mentioned, but his plate discipline is so good. He is just a smart hitter. He's he's a smart hitter, and it's creating some interesting problems because you can put him at second base all day now and no one's gonna, no one's gonna say a word. Kike at short Valdez at second. We can live with that, but you're going to get a guy named Trevor story back. Who's going to go into one of those spots. It's just, (laughs) it's the fact of life. You're paying him 20, 22 million a year, a lot invested. And so who do you take out? You can move Kike to the outfield, but then you're taking the bat out of either Yoshida's hands, Duran's hands, or Verdugo's hands, and you're just not going to do that. You can't hide him at DH because, uh, or Story or anyone, because that's where Justin Turner plays. Uh, you know, with the occasional, you know, start against the lefty pitcher, Turner might play at first. But what a logjam! What a logjam we have all over this team right now, and. Uh, Glad uh, to see Valdez looking good. I will say this. If this emergence plays out and he lives up to his potential, I think it's bye-bye Kike Hernandez this winter. I don't think Kike comes back. Oh, I think that's an automatic. I mean, right now, Kike's offense is dropping his defensive short. It's it's so Jekyll and Hyde because he'll make an amazing play one inning and then throw the ball into the stands twice the next inning. Um, and, you know, Kike's a veteran and, you know, this team is going to, if they're going to get back on track, it's going to be the young guys that lead them there. And you hope it's going to be Trevor Story because you're stuck with him for quite a few years after that contract. Um, so, yeah, I it, you know, this offseason, for sure, I think you move on from Kike and you stick with Valdez. He'll be 25 at that point, so it's kind of make or break for him at the major league level. Um, you don't want to send him back down at 25 years old, especially given the sample you've already seen. Um, so I think that's pretty much true. And you're right that the logjam is coming because it's not just Trevor Story. Adam Duvall is going to be back at some point. 
the wrist brace is off. He's not taking swings yet, but he's already started to work out a little bit. And that's another right-handed bat that you're going to need at some point, but you don't have room in your outfield right now. All three of those guys, you can't bench any of them. And, you know, what do you do with Duvall? Do you DH him? Then you're taking Justin Turner out of the lineup. Um, this is why I tweeted a few days ago, Tristan Costas, there's motivation for him to pick it up because Justin Turner can play first base. He probably doesn't want to play it every day, but he will if the team's winning. And if Costas is slumping, I know nobody wants to hear it. I know he's the golden boy. And look, he was better these last two games, finally got a couple of hits together, drove in some runs. But if he's still hitting at the Mendoza line, by the time Duvall and Story are ready to come back, he may be the odd man out. So it's going to be interesting to see what they do there. Just real quick also, the second guy in that Vasquez trade was Willier Abreu. Um, you might remember he was really good in the spring and then – I think it was like the final week of spring games. He was rounding first base and he hurt his leg. I forget. I think he, you know, tweaked his tweaked something. or something. Yeah. Okay. I um, do remember that now. Yeah. He's healthy now. He's your number 22 prospect. He's hitting okay in AAA right now. But again, that trade just looking like an absolute steal. So it'll be interesting to see what they do with Valdez going forward, especially like you said, that log jam's on the way. And uh, it's it's a good problem to have, but it's still a problem they're going to have to sort out. Um, so moving on from Valdez and coming in at number four on our list, Terry, who do we got? That is going to be one Nick Pavetta who had the best start of any starting pitcher uh, in the series. Um, Tanner Houck was on his way to being that guy. And then I forget which inning it was. Um, gave up six runs with two outs. There were two outs in the inning. He gives up six runs was cruising. That's what Tanner Houck did. Uh, but fear not. They got the win anyway. Nick Pavetta though was phenomenal. Uh, his only blip um, thinking uh, I'm getting my notes all mixed up. I think was a three run shot. Uh, by, uh, was it, um, Bo Bichette? No, it was Vlad Vladimir Jr., I think. Um, but anyway, so three earned runs, uh, across six innings, six hits. Walk three, his walks are up a little bit this year, but it, for the most part, hasn't really come back to haunt him. Uh, Corey Kluber, another guy, uh, walked four in the first uh, game, but only gave up three runs. So Red Sox were pretty fortunate uh, this series to, um, you know, not not give up, uh, you know, a ton of damage uh, due to the walks. Actually, uh, so I did get my games mixed up. So he gave up two home runs. Uh, one was to... Uh, one was by Dalton Varsho, uh, which was a line drive home run. That was uh, Varsho's kind of, you know, introduction to the Red Sox for this series was quiet uh, coming into that at bat. And then Vladimir Jr. Uh, got him on a, uh, you know, another towering shot. So um, good series for Pavetta. Uh, not off to a bad year. Um, you know, his ERA isn't uh, spectacular. It never is, but um, just kind of quietly eats up the innings, gets the job done uh, every fifth time through. 
And a lot of his damage tends to be all at once. So um, good enough for the number four spot. Absolutely. Nick, thoughts on uh, Pavetta? Just another Nick that I enjoy quite. No, that's a great name. <laughs> Nick Pavetta gave you a quality start, something that you want out of your four or five guy. I'm a big Nick Pavetta guy if he's in that number four or five spot. If you ask him to be anything other than that, you're it's just a recipe for disaster in my eyes. The start prior got rocked. Ended up coming back and getting a great start against the Blue Jays. I know Terry and I, when we did our YouTube prediction show from everything, we didn't expect this one. We thought Manoa was going to get the better hand here in this start, and Pavetta ended up pitching quality start, got this team a victory and everything, and looked like a guy that you can count on. And that's what the Red Sox need. They need somebody who can be a stabilizer in that rotation. We know his durability is there. That's the one thing that he has that he's really never hurt, it's just a matter of being smart when he's pitching, locating his stuff, and keeping his team in the game. And you can successfully say that he did that. And that's what you want to see moving forward. So great job. Hope it continues. That's the Nick Pavetta that you want. Yeah, if someone who didn't know anything about the Red Sox or didn't know anything about baseball asked me to define who is Nick Pavetta as a pitcher, I would just show them this game. It was the most quintessential Nick Pavetta start I've ever seen. Six innings, six strikeouts, two bombs. That's who he is. That's who he's always been. And I would tell that person, and oh, by the way, if you start him for a full season, he'll do that exact line probably 30 times with a couple of blips on the radar here and there. But that's who he is. He's a six inning, six to seven inning, six strikeout guy, but he's going to give up a ton of home runs. Now, look, it's hard to blame him. You gave up a home run to Vlad Jr. Name a pitcher who hasn't at this stage. I mean, that guy is just hitting home runs left and right. Dalton Varsho, pretty good power bat, but, you know, not not exactly an established guy just yet. You know, sh- still trying to get his feet wet after coming over from Arizona. But it, it's, it's a good start for Nick Pavetta. It, he had the best start of the week, like you said. And so, again, another tough decision that's looming. Because Whitlock's on the IL right now. James Paxton is supposedly this year going to come back and pitch for the Major <laughs> League. I still won't believe it till I actually see him on the mound in a Red Sox uniform, not a Woo Sox uniform. But supposedly he's close. And he's already said, you know, in the most diplomatic way possible, that he doesn't want to go to the bullpen. So what do you do? And I think we all sort of labeled Pavetta going into this season as, well, that's an easy guy to, you know, he's the easy odd man out. You're not paying him that much. You know what he is at this point. He's not going to get any better. He's pretty much reached his ceiling. But a start like this, this week, when your offense is rolling, he's going to get you the win. And he's going to go deep into the game. And like you said, his durability, you know that he's going to hold up for 30 starts. That's valuable because Garrett Whitlock, I'm not convinced he can hold up for 30 starts. Brian Bayo, not convinced. Chris Sale, not convinced. Even Corey Kluber, not convinced. I'm not convinced any of these guys can make 30 starts. Nick Pavetta can. So it's going to be a tough call one way or the other. When Paxton's ready and when Whitlock is ready, what do you do with that rotation? 
Um, you're, you're almost paying Kluber too much money to get rid of him, but maybe you try, you DFA him, you see if somebody wants to take a shot. I don't know. But Pavetta, hopefully he's got that fire under his ass and he's trying to pitch his way into a solidified rotation spot. Real quick, so Pavetta gave up six earned runs across four innings against the Angels, so it was his worst start in terms of runs given up in his um, shortest start of the year. He's five innings or more every time out. Uh, and then with the exception of the, uh, I almost said it, the Guardians uh, series, uh, he gave up four that start three or less every other time. So like I said, he just, he gives them up in bunches typically in a bad start and it inflates his um, ERA. couple of things to consider here with him uh, in terms of who's the odd man out. When you look at five innings or more every start, you need him because you don't want that bullpen to be taxed. You don't, Bayo, we're not really going to talk about him this episode. He seems to give you three or four good innings, falls apart a little bit, was cruising today, gave up, I think, four earned, something like that. Um, and then you have Whitlock. They... Apparently, he had a doctor's appointment in the last day or two, no symptoms of his ulnar neuritis, but they did not give a timetable. And I questioned that uh, with Jen McCaffrey with The Athletic, and she basically she did respond to the tweet and said, well, they're not positive yet when that will be. I guarantee you, I guarantee you he goes back to the pen, at least for now. I don't think he's going to be out there throwing 80 pitches on an elbow they're not supremely confident in is in terms of health. Now, apparently Jordan Romano came back from this with the minimum IL stint. He's a reliever. He is a reliever, and that's probably what helped him. The only other starter we know that uh, have has had this problem is Jeffrey Springs with the Rays. He just had Tommy John as a result of it. So... If, if the Rays are lucky, he might come back late next season in time for the playoffs to pitch some innings. I just, I'd be shocked if the Red Sox are comfortable enough to put him, uh, Garrett Whitlock, back in that rotation and take somebody else's job away, you know, with tons of risk. I just feel like he's going to the bullpen. I mean, that's where I've advocated he should go for a long time. So Same. I, I hope you're right. Um, I just feel like they're so stubborn with Whitlock right now. I'm not convinced. It's the best safety method that you can use with Whitlock right here with the unknown. Put him in the bullpen, keep him healthy, keep him stabilized, and keep him in good shape. Yep. And and again, like Nick Pavetta, you're going to get those, those stinkers every now and then. It's going to happen. But it happens to the best pitchers in the league. You know, you know what's Gelsman. a good like analogy of it? It's like a box of chocolates. You open up that box of chocolates. Some of them you really like. Some of them suck, but some of them are great. And then there's some that you just want to throw out and everything. You're gonna have your good. You're gonna have your bad. Yep. I mean, again, we, we talked about it at the start of the show. Kevin Galsman got lit up, you know, on, on that game tonight. So, and he's <laughs> he's a Cy Young favorite. It's gonna happen. Um, I'll take the durability for now given the, the other questions around the rotation. I'm going to continue with the Forrest Gump reference here. And if they put him, if I'm wrong, and they do put him back in that rotation, stupid is as stupid does. 
Yeah. <laughs> it's fair. It's a fair it's point. A fair point. That, yep. I, I'll, I'll wait for the next IL stint to come, which probably will happen, unfortunately. Um, so moving on to number three on the list, Nick, who's coming in at number three. Will you guys remember the moment that you witnessed the Connor Wong game? I'm never going to forget where I was. I'm never going to no, <laughs> It was a great game, but it was something that I think was in a way his coming out to let people know that he's going to be a name to know here in baseball for quite a, quite, quite a long time. One of the awesome things about the Red Sox this season has been the catching tandem of McGuire and Wong. I don't know if you guys know this, but right now they lead Major League Baseball with 35 hits amongst their two catchers. That's amazing. Coming into this season to see where this team was going to be and to just hear that stat right there, holy crap. But what you're seeing here in my eyes with Connor Wong is confidence, a guy that's finally getting his opportunity. He's been in Worcester for so long. He now has that chance to be that guy behind the dish. And you're seeing offensive production. He's at a 284 average right now. He's already up to three homers, looking consistent, looking like he's a guy that's going to be able to hit major league pitching. You're also seeing some great defensive play. And big time to look at is how he's doing with throwing runners out on the bases. So right now, looking at his stats from everything, he is 43% of the runners this season he has thrown out on the bases. That's outstanding. Considering where we were about the first week of the season, I think you guys were probably concerned about it too. The running game was ridiculous in a way against the Orioles and the Tigers. Well, no, the Tigers didn't really run, but the Orioles at the beginning of the season when we first played them, they were, everybody was kind of running kind of crazy at them. And we're like, are we ever going to throw a runner out? The adjustments made, the confidence that's been there with with uh, Wong. I don't know about you guys, but I just feel like I have the confidence. I have the ability to say, okay, he's going to be good. We can trust him. It seems like the pitchers really enjoy throwing to him as well, too. And I think the best is still yet to come for Connor Wong. Um, great series. Hope this continues. But I do like this whole rotation they're doing between Wong and, and McGuire. I think that's going to keep them fresh in a way. It's kind of like how the Bruins did it with their goaltending when they rotated every other game from everything. And they ended up having the, the best one-two pair in the league, at least regular season. If you can keep these guys fresh, especially behind the dish, maybe you're going to get more production out of them. So that's my hope on that. Yeah, just don't screw up the platoon like the Bruins did. But uh, Please don't. Yeah, please Terry, don't. I'm still what recovering. Are what are your thoughts on Wong? So I was the one Wong guy all winter long. And get used to a full season of wordplay on his last name, by the way. You know, I was worried early on. I'm like, is this racist? Are we allowed to do this? But it's all over Twitter. The Red Sox are doing it. We're good. You can you can play with his name all you want. But I was the one guy uh, over the winter that I'm not going to say I expressed optimism that he would be the guy he seems to be turning out to be. But I steadfastly said, and not even just last winter, but going back throughout 2022, I want to see this guy. I, I just want to see what he looks like in a in a decent sample size you know a sample size of 60 to 80 games and then we'll figure it out because not many people expressed a ton of confidence that he would ever be an impact guy 
you had a lot of people over the winter wanting, uh, you know, Christian Vasquez back. And I think there was an expectation uh, among a lot of Red Sox fans that Vasquez would be back. But, um, you know, Reese McGuire emerged last year as a very good, uh, you know, slappy contact hitter and um, got the bulk of the early starts this season. But Wong, with his arm, his ability to gun down base runners, he was six for 11 coming into the series. I don't know if he uh, stopped anyone. And by the way, the Red Sox got fleeced on the base pass in game four with Reese McGuire catching. So big difference. That's the difference between Wong and McGuire. And I, I think at this point, to me, Wong is my starting catcher, you know, for 100 games at least, 110 games. And then McGuire is the backup. And I think McGuire will be a hell of a backup. And a great pinch hitter, too, if, if you need him to be. Um, but this is what I thought Wong had the potential to be. And he went deep twice, uh, you know, in uh, the second game of the series. Four for four that game, by the way. And I think he's emerged. He's the guy I want in there. He's absolutely the guy I want in there. His batting average has uh, climbed exponentially. Let's see where he's at. Hitting 284, and he was sub-Mendoza line for quite a while. He did get off to a slow start, but he's hitting a, a pretty good clip right now. Uh, can draw some walks as well. He's got a 342 on base, and he always had the potential to be a power-hitting catcher. 2019 in the minors, uh, this was in the Dodgers system. He hit 28 home runs that year. So there you go. Is it going to be 28 at the major leagues? No, but it, it'll probably be at least 15 to 20. And he's already hit three in 24 games. So love what I'm seeing, and I want to see more. If I buy a jersey, my next jersey is going to be a Connor Wong jersey. I, I might be with you. Yeah. Um, Connor Wong is what happens when you have the bravery to move on from a guy like Christian Vasquez. And I do use that term, I think, rightly because, you know, Haim Let, JD Martinez, Nathan Abaldi, Sander Bogarts, quite a few guys, um, notable players, walk out the door. And it would have been the easiest thing in the world to bring back Christian Vasquez. You appease the fan base. You sort of let them know, hey, we're, we're solving the catcher problem because we have a number one. We have a number one catcher. And sort of to what Nick was saying about like goalie tandems, it's, you know, well, we got a number one goalie. doesn't matter who the number two guy is. We've got the number one. He's going to play the biggest share of games, and that's that. This is the right move. Letting Christian Vasquez walk, he's making three years, 30 million with the Twins. Christian Vasquez right now is hitting 246 with no homers. Connor Wong has three, and he's hitting you know 284. The other thing about Connor Wong, you mentioned his defense. In terms of total runs saved, he's second among all major league catchers. The only guy he's behind is William Contreras with the Milwaukee Brewers. And if you are looking for where Christian Vasquez is, he's far down the list because he's only got one defensive run saved so far this year now that's just one stat but it does show you the elevation of Connor Wong's defense it's 
he, he's taken a massive step forward in that regard. And look, I don't think that he's going to be hitting two homers every game. And I don't think he's going to hang around 284 for the rest of the season. But if he hits 240, 250 with 20 homers and continues to be a great defensive catcher, that's an absolute win for the Red Sox. It's an absolute win. And I still like the tandem. Reese McGuire, even though, you know, <laughs> the BAPIP is going to catch up with him because he gets some weird hits. I mean, even in uh, tonight's game, the Thursday night game, you know, the hit and run where he sort of just, you know, waves at the Kevin Gausman splitter to hit it into center field. He gets a broken bat single over Guerrero's head. You know, there, there's going to be some regression to the mean with him. And I don't think defensively he's as sharp as Connor Wong, but you're paying these guys peanuts and they're giving you great production out of the catcher spot and out of the bottom of your order. That's massive for the Red Sox because in April, especially early on when the team was struggling, we talked about the six through nine of the lineup and how it was giving you zero. Kike was in a rut at that point. The catchers hadn't woken up yet. Casas was still asleep. Um, the fact that your catchers are not only solid defensively, but they're giving you offense is such a plus. And especially with the new rules, the pitch clock and you know, the only two disengagements from the mound, teams are going to run, especially the athletic teams, especially the smaller market teams like the Pirates, like the Orioles. Um, there's many more we haven't seen yet. The Royals are, are a fast team. There's, there's teams with speed all over the place. They're taking advantage of the new rules. They're going to run. We saw the Red Sox do it this series against Toronto. They, <laughs> they took Danny Jansen, you know, to the cleaners this series with, with their speed. So it's a new part of the game. And the fact that you have a guy in Connor Wong who shows that he can, he's got a good arm and he can throw runners out, that's a big advantage to have. So I hope it continues. Um, I, I do still want them to stick with the platoon, though. I don't want Connor Wong getting too exposed or, you know, lacking confidence because he goes 0 for 12 against a bunch of right-handers. You know, Reese McGuire deserves playing time as well. So... Keep up with the tandem, keep both these guys healthy, and you've got a really good catcher situation. And that's something that a lot of teams in the league can't say. Um, and you're doing it without, like, a stud. Like, you're doing it without an Adley Rushman or a, a Wilson Contreras. Like, look at all the money the Cardinals paid for Wilson Contreras. How's that working out for them? They're 10-21. and 21. It's just, you know, I would much rather have the Red Sox situation than that right now. So it's working out for the best. And, uh, you know... Connor Wong's still young. He still has time to develop. So this could be his breakout year, which would be great. So moving on from that, Nick, we're going to have you go once again. Who's number two? Back to back. Yeah. I am very happy, and it's really awesome to witness the turnaround of Jaron Duran. This guy has been on another planet compared to where he was going to be at at the start of the season. This guy was a forgotten commodity. To say that he was going to get another chance to be up in the big league club and to produce and to impact the game the way that he's doing, it's, out of, it's just remarkable. This guy's not only hitting the ball, but he is looking like a completely different guy out in the field. Mentally, physically, the guy is just on cloud nine right now, and I just don't think he can do anything wrong right now. Looking at a couple of stats from him, 
the, this is remarkable. So he's pretty much played in every single game up since he's been called up. His last game that he went 0 for 4, really didn't have any hits, was April 24th. I'm not going to count the 29. Um, I'm actually not going to count the May 2nd game. Yes, he had a hitting streak going, but he only was a pinch hitting there. So pretty much he's gotten a hit in every single game that he's been in since he's been called up. So I'm ecstatic with what we saw from that. Um, over his last seven games, he's at a 414 average right now. Um, he's at a nine for 22 clip. It's just out of this world good. And we talked about the depth on this team. And this is a guy I don't want to see out of the lineup. I don't. The question that I have, though, where does he slot in best in this lineup? What spot? Is he a leadoff guy? Is he a five guy? Is he a six guy? If he keeps hitting the way he's doing, I leave him right in the five or six spot, right where Cora put him tonight. But I do think he's going to cool down a little bit here. I just want to see, is this the real deal? Is this who we're seeing? Because if this is a, if this is who we're seeing, I think it's a fair statement to say that this is Jacoby Ellsbury when he first came up. So let's hope for the best here. Terry, what do you think? I'm definitely trending, you know, more and more that he is a bona fide Major League Baseball player at this point. Clearly, he's found something different. Uh, I think it was last uh, week on the midweek show. I expressed all of that. He's 26 years old. How many of them ever figure it out that late? And he's very fortunate that the Red Sox have not had a ton of depth in the outfield. Had we had we had, you know, homegrown talent before him that were already occupying those spots. He's playing for Kansas City right now or the Diamondbacks or somebody who picked him up off the scrap heap and then who knows if he ever would have figured it out. So, he's hitting 417 right now with a 456 on base. That's insane. And I keep waiting for it to come down and it keeps going higher. So I don't, I don't know. You know, the the thing I'm watching for all the time with him, can he, can he stop striking out at a big clip? He didn't have a single strikeout in the previous series. I forget who that was even against, uh, but no strikeouts the whole series uh struck out four times this series so you know is what it is he walked twice uh in game three and um has five walks on the season so i want to see if the strikeouts come down he's striking out roughly 30 32 percent of the time that's kind of high for anyone really uh bobby dahlbeck for instance was like 37 percent so if bobby dahlbeck drove you nuts you know, Duran's not far off from that, you know, on strikeouts. But um, so if the, the strikeouts come down and the walks go up, who knows? Who knows what the ceiling is on him? But he's been a very good uh, situational hitter. The one adjustment apparently he's made in the batter's box is where he's holding his hands. Uh, you know, he, he's holding them a little bit higher. You know, his I think his back elbow, you know, he's keeping that pretty level and it's it's improved his swing you know he's he's much quicker 
uh, with the bat speed and you're you're seeing the Jaron Duran you never thought you would see. Just imagine when when I when I say he's lucky to have a spot. I mean, if if Adam Duvall doesn't go down, he's not up. He's just not up. <laughs> so, man, the stars have aligned for him so far. It's sort of similar to what we were talking about with Valdez earlier. It's all circumstance. And sometimes as a younger player, that's how you break your way into the big leagues, an injury to someone else or, you know, a roster problem. Um, And also, you know, with Duran and and with a couple of other guys, is it time to start really looking at the Red Sox hitting coaches and sort of saying, you know, they're they're doing a pretty damn good job because – there's another guy who we'll get to in a little bit who's also made an adjustment to his batting stance, and it's made a massive difference. I pointed out on the Nesson broadcast tonight, but you, you mentioned it with Duran. Like, he's made a subtle little adjustment to his batting stance. It's made a big difference. The tools were always there. He had the natural speed. He had the athleticism. He, he's obviously you know in, in very good shape. Um, he's a strong kid. He just never could quite figure it out fully. It was never fully there. For me, the thing with him is like the confidence is there. Even watching him in the field last year, when you watch him in the outfield, every time there was a ball hit to him, you held your breath, not just because of what Rymel Tapia did to him, but even before and after that, he just looked shaky. He didn't look as confident. His routes were weird. He was doing like S routes to every fly ball. It just didn't make much sense. This year, he looks much more confident. He just, you know, he gets under the ball pretty quickly. He's there. He's ready to go. The arm looks decent. It's not the best for center field, but I also think we're a little spoiled having Jackie Bradley out there for so many years who had a cannon as much as I didn't like him as a player. He, he did have a very strong arm. Um, look, Duran is on fire right now. And look, that, that average and that on base, it's going to come down. I agree with you, Terry. I want to see the strikeouts go down. That is something that I think is still a little bit of a bugaboo for him. When he goes down 0-1 or 0-2, he's not good at protecting the plate or working a count. He tends to chase up high or chase away, um, which is fine. I mean, that's plate discipline. I think that's something you can cheat, you can teach. So he's going to get there. And the fact that he's producing at this clip, um, again, just another 26-year-old outfielder, him and Verdugo out there just absolutely producing for this team. Um, it's great to see. And, you know, it sucks that Adam Duvall had to get hurt for him to have this opportunity, but good for him for making the most of it because last year he looked like he barely belonged in the big leagues. Now he's looking like you can't take him out of this lineup. Um, and to Nick's point, where do you put him? For me, I, anywhere after Justin Turner. The reason I say that is because Justin Turner is really good at moving runners over or just hitting the ball to the right place to kind of keep the chain of offense going. And then Duran is a doubles machine and he can drive them all in. So wherever Justin Turner's hitting, I want Duran hitting after him. Real quick. um, I tweeted out, I think it was last night. I, I was saying it's time to give Peter Fats a, credit you know for how well this team is hitting and everyone's like well you know what why are they so good this year compared to last year 
Well, quietly, the Red Sox, despite only winning, I think, 77, 78 games last year, led all of Major League Baseball. They were, they were the number one ranked team in doubles. So there was some good hitting going on. They were also third overall among every single MLB team in hits. They had the third most hits. Where they struggled uh, the most with runs batted in, they were ninth. Home runs, they were 20th. So you need to see a little bit of balance. Uh, you've got a better bullpen, uh, you know, protecting those late leads. Uh, last I checked, which was actually probably close to a week ago, we had the number one bullpen uh, in Major League Baseball. Uh, just glancing down through here, we had, let's see, two earned runs this series from the bullpen. So, um, boldly going to assume if we're not first, we're second or third, uh, as far as that goes. But, you know, the, you know, the pitching is protecting, uh, you know, the runs that we're scoring. So that said, I do have the number one spot this week and it is Kike Hernandez. Kidding, kidding. Kike was three for 17. He sucked. Um, Obviously, I, I think everybody knows it's Masataka Yoshida. Um, I guess it, it's high time I finally give him credit. Uh, all winter long, I was at pains to point out those those hitters from the Asian markets seldom ever worked out. I mentioned the same three or four names over and over again. You had you had Ichiro and Otani play some one or two, whichever way you want to do it. You know those are the top two. After that, you have Hideki Matsui, Shinsu Chu, and I might be forgetting one more. But Hideki Matsui, great, you know, great ball player, not uh, a Hall of Famer by any means. But um, it's looking like Yoshida can at least eclipse him. He's got a pretty easy path to number three of all time here at least. And I'm at the point now where definitely a bona fide major leaguer. Do I think he's necessarily going to bat 300 with a 378 on base like the zips projections had? Not quite there yet, but uh, I'm willing to uh, admit I was wrong. <laughs> and uh, even if I, you know, on May 2nd, I guess I, I don't have to admit I'm wrong on May 2nd, but I'm trending very sharply wrong here. Like that's the direction I'm going. He has exceeded my expectations in this series against the Blue Jays against a very good pitching staff. He was nine for 17. Not only did he have a hit in every single game, he had multiple hits in every single game, every single game. He had at least two hits. He was three for five in the finale today home run, drove in three. Uh, let's see, across the board, he had uh, two home runs and doing the math here on the fly, eight runs driven in. So a monster series from Yoshida and uh, I'm wrong. And if they were all out of Connor Wong shirts, jerseys, I might buy a Yoshida one. Um, he's just been phenomenal. Basically a machine. He's just been an absolute machine uh, at the plate. And um, 
almost an automatic clutch hit when, when you need it to be. When there's a runner on second, he's he's going to rip the ball into the outfield or put it over the fence. So, so there you go for everyone waiting for me to give him credit. I finally did. Yep. Nick, what are your thoughts? I was just curious what you guys thought when he first started out as a Red Sox that week afterwards he got hurt. And I don't think there was enough emphasis placed on just maybe how much he was playing through something because you could definitely tell he was banged up. He was sitting out a few games and everything. I don't think he really wanted to go on the IL and I don't think the Red Sox wanted to put him there because I think he wanted to really prove himself this first month into Red Sox nation and into the fan base that says, this is a guy that's a winner. This is a guy who's durable. This is a guy that wants to play no matter what the situation. So I was critical at the beginning. I was expecting all the hype. I was expecting him to just continue on playing baseball like this was Japan. And it's not the same here. It's a game of adjustments. The big adjustment that everybody was concerned about with him coming here was getting uh, the high fastball, was trying to see if he was going to be able to adjust and hit it in all these different ballparks. Well, after we've seen him for the first month here from everything, it's a positive take. The game of adjustments has worked great for him. He's become a guy that's become a fun player to root for and watch and see what he does. He's becoming a nightly piece of entertainment by spraying the ball all over the park. You're not just seeing, you know, little fluky hits. You're seeing the ball hit with authority. And you're seeing it hit to multiple parts of the parks, which I find really fun. You saw in this in Toronto series, he hit a home run deep center field. I mean, the guy can hit. He's got power. He doesn't look it at times, but the guy can hit the freaking ball. And that's exciting. As a Red Sox fan, this is a guy I can get behind. This is a guy I can, I can say that maybe the Red Sox did make a good investment here. So great series. It's been a great few weeks for him. And I'm ecstatic. I'm ecstatic to see him really uh, become a fan favorite for the Red Sox. I was excited about the Yoshida signing when it happened, mainly because at that point, offseason was pretty quiet. Um, there were a lot of questions around the roster, and I was just happy to hear that there was a, uh, I don't want to call him bona fide, but a, a well-known Japanese star coming over and signing with the Red Sox. It feels like the Red Sox have missed out on a few of those guys the last couple of years. Admittedly, I didn't know much about him. Um, I can't pretend I've watched a ton of Japanese baseball. And if you're out there and you claim that you do, I'm going to call you a liar. Um, my first sort of exposure to him was a little bit in spring training, but really the World Baseball Classic, where he, he looked like the second best player, if not a little better than Shohei Otani on that Japan team. I mean, he was dynamite in the World Baseball Classic. Now, a lot, of, a lot of guys went off during that. And, you know, it doesn't mean that they're necessarily superstars, but he really showed out. Um, and I just, you know, a little bit of a struggle there in April. I think Nick's right. I think the injury probably played into that. Now you're seeing him fully healthy, kind of getting acclimated to, you know, pitchers over here in this league. And he looks like a stud. He looks like an absolute stud. Um, I, I don't think that he's going to go the way of some of these other guys who have come over. Like the guy that I was worried that he might be was, uh, Hansu Kim, 
I don't know if you guys remember him. He signed with the Orioles a couple of years ago, like five years ago. And he, they, they propped him up as, you know, well, he's going to have 200 hits a year, not a big power guy, but he's, he's going to win batting titles. He's the next Ichiro, you know, maybe not as much speed, but he, he's a hitting machine. That guy flamed out. He, he had like one decent season with Baltimore and then he never got it right. And I'm pretty sure he went back to Korea after that. Um, so, you know, I was a little bit worried, but Yoshida, when you look at his swing, it's effortless. The power is just effortless. And Fenway right field is not an easy, you know, place to get to for a left-handed hitter. It's it's one of the deeper left fields out there. So he's hitting it to his spray charts ridiculous. He's hitting it all over the field. Um, he's starting to hit the ball harder now, too. Um, he had a RBI single in tonight's game where he just blew it past the second baseman. I mean, should have been a routine play, but it was hit so hard that they couldn't get a glove on it. The defense looks good. You know, Grant, he's playing Fenway left, which all you have to do is just, oh, ball's going up, turn around, you know, get ready to throw it. But his arm looks good. His defense looks good. He's got pretty decent speed. This is looking like an absolute steal. And you got to wonder, those uh, unnamed executives who, you know, there were reports that they said, oh, Bloom totally overpaid for this guy. I wonder what they're thinking right now because he's leading like all rookies in – almost every category. So he's, he's your runaway rookie of the year right now. Now, granted it's May, it's early May. So it's a lot of baseball left to be played. It's a lot of rookies who haven't quite woken up yet. We'll see how that goes. But Masataki Yoshida is an absolute catalyst in this offense. And it's looking like a great signing. And I don't know. You just, you just hope that uh, he doesn't get hurt anymore and just let him, let him cook, let him, you know, get more acclimated to the pitching here and get more acclimated to the situation because he could be like a 330 guy with power that, you know, plays good defense out in left field. Can't ask for much more than that. So he's looking great. And it, that that outfield in general, like just him being a part of it, it's tremendous. Uh, just real quick, you know, one of my – you know, another one of my skepticisms on him was I spent the whole previous winter saying, stay away from Seiya Suzuki for the same exact reasons. I'm like, these guys never pan out. And Suzuki hasn't been terrible. He missed the start of um, the season. I'm guessing he was injured. His first game was April 14th. Since then, he's hitting a very respectable uh, 275 with a 359 on base. However, only one home run, uh, eight driven in in those 18 games. Certainly not tearing it up. And I don't have last year's numbers up. He did. Uh, he did get hurt last year. I know that. And uh, you know, didn't didn't blow it out of the water. Here are last year's numbers: 262 with a 336 on base, uh, 14 home runs, 46 driven in. Not a guy I would have wanted to overpay for. Uh, you know, I'm glad Yoshida ended up being the guy. And I think where the Red Sox also lucked out was he actually wanted to come to Boston. Very few Japanese players want to come further than the West Coast. As soon as they cross that Pacific Ocean in the airplane, they want one of those West Coast cities to play in and you know, it's typically fairly mild out there. Maybe Seattle can be a little raw in April, I guess. But, 
Yeah. Nick? Happen to be friendly with one of the executives that's in the Red Sox baseball ops. And I want to tell you guys this information right now that is very truthful and might help to sway your opinion on what this Otani sweepstakes is going to look like. But one of the main reasons behind why Yoshida was signed was talent, of course, but also to see if this could also drive for this upcoming free agency that's here with Shohei Otani. Believe what you see from that. I don't know if the Red Sox have a chance, (laughs) but it was definitely one of the factors in seeing if we could get another Japanese born, you know, Japanese player here to Boston to see if it could entice Otani to come here too. So there's two things on that. I I totally believe that Yoshida and Otani are are boys. I mean, you you saw them during the World Baseball Classic. Like they they looked like they're pretty close. They're, I think they're good friends, and, and I think they probably talk a lot. Um, Otani isn't going to sign here because just because of Yoshida. The Red Sox are going to have to offer him $500 million. I mean, oh, that's 100% on that. So, and, and believe me, I want nothing more than Shohei Otani in a Boston Red Sox uniform. That That is the dream for any fan uh, of this team. But I just feel like the Dodgers are just quietly waiting you know they're gonna bust open the the, the checkbook. Um, you know the Giants have a lot of money to spend. They're on the West Coast too. I, I think that that's probably San Diego is gonna. Padres go always got money now. Yep. Yeah. All these teams that they have the money and they're willing to spend it. I don't know that Sean Henry is gonna be willing to bust open the the checkbook for five hundred million dollars or whatever it takes. To get Shohei Otani. We, we, we can't believe that right now. We can't. No, of course not. Not given his history. Now, if the Red Sox make a run and they fall just short this year, and maybe Cora, Bloom are able to go up there and go, hey, you know, we were this close. If you go get us Otani, we're, we're going to put another trophy in, in your case. Maybe then. But it's going to take a lot. It, that Otani sweepstakes is going to be absolutely absurd. You're going to see him sign one of the most absurd contracts in all sports, and and rightfully so. He, he's an absolute freak. It, we haven't seen anything like Otani in years in MLB. So good I for think him. You're right on the money, Jason. I think it's going to be a half a billion dollars, bare yep. minimum, bare yep. minimum. This yeah. is this is how the sweepstakes are going to go. Otani's going to come to the Red Sox. He's going to say, "All right, I want five hundred twenty-five million." John Henry's going to be like, nope, I'm, I'm thinking 175 million. And then they're going to be like, lose my number. And that's just how it's going to go. That's just how it's going to go. And but you got to make sure, too, that it's going to be cold and rainy because that's what happens when Otani comes to Fenway. Well, that is exactly what happened. And it's like the the prince of, a, of I don't know, of a foreign nation was out on the mound and they were all smoothing it out around him during the rain. and. Sure. Uh, I, I'm, I was expecting him to get a foot rub from one of the field people, uh, the red carpet, everything. Yeah. Where was it? So it wasn't, it wasn't a pleasant experience for Shohei, uh, in, yeah. in Boston this year. So I, I think that will likely play a factor. And apparently I free, it, it might've been Lori in our war room that told me this. Um, I could be wrong. He's from the Northern part of Japan. And he hates the cold. He's already said I, this. He hates the cold. 
And I was just going to say that, like, I, I forget exactly where he's from, but he's essentially from like the Miami beach of Japan. Okay. It's just, it's always warm. It's, it's always cozy and okay. not like hot and humid. It's like nice. It's so yeah, he performs a warmer climate for sure. And when he came over, I thought it was hilarious and he hadn't even established himself yet at this point. You know, it was, it was just hype at that point. And he was complaining that Angel Stadium was too loud. When he's in the batter's box, he wants it to be quiet. So he he likes what he likes, and I, I just don't know if enough about Boston is going to line up with that. So, no. Um, but if it happens, it happens. I I would. I've been on record so many times saying most players, I'm not going to give more than like three hundred million to i just i'm not the type i i did it for i i was fine with it with devers because he's 26 fine give him 10 or 11 years he's not going to be here till he's 41 uh on on a long-term deal um and but for shohei for 500 i would do it i i should also say that that you know the red sox are going to need to win a bidding war on top of everything so if the dodgers say 520 Padres come in at 540. The Red Sox better be ready to pony up $560 million. There's no telling what the ceiling actually is there. So yep. anyway, let's uh, go ahead and get into the Phillies series here with the Red Sox. And the, the interesting thing about this is there's going to be a lot of pride with the front offices here because Dave Dombrowski is going to get a chance here to you know, stick it to his old team. And he's coming off of a World Series appearance that uh, pretty sure the Red Sox owners, John Henry, Tom Warner, Sam Kennedy even, uh, you know, as an executive, probably watched zero World Series games because of that. And so, you know, the front offices here are really going to be rooting for their teams. Two things to consider here. The, the Phillies aren't, hitting a lot of home runs which is insane because they've got nothing but power in that lineup you know nick castellanos kyle schwarber uh bryce harper is back i think he went hitless his first game i don't know if they played today um uh, but he is back uh i think dhing and uh trey turner you know lots of power in that lineup and uh but the home runs aren't quite there what is there for this phillies team is they are third in major league baseball in hits they have uh, red sox by the way number one phillies have just 37 less hits uh and then as far as uh doubles go the phillies are fifth so it's a good hitting team it's a team that can tune up uh, a pitcher who's not uh sharp so having said that, Nick, we will lead you off with uh, the first pitching matchup. Yep. And so the first, yep, it's going to be Chris Sale. It's going to and it's going to be against Zach Wheeler. Uh, Zach Wheeler's three and one with a three eighty six ERA. Uh, he started the season out a little rough. Started out a little rough, and he's lowered his DRA back back down to that three eighty six. Like I said. Um, just a couple notes from him. His last start against Houston was one of his better ones that he's had on the season. Went six innings, gave up three hits, seven Ks. Um, we all know Sale. Sale last start out, got the win, six and a third, uh, one earned run, 
five Ks, three hits, and that was his longest start uh, of the season so far outside of the Minnesota game. So in this one, I am actually going to be picking the Red Sox. The Red Sox are riding high. The Phillies are on a four-game losing streak right now. The Dodgers just took care of business with them. So I'm going to keep riding high on the Sox right now. W for the Red Sox Friday night. This was the toughest game to pick of the series for me because I respect the hell out of Zach Wheeler. Um, I know he's had a couple of blips on the radar so far this year, but I think he's a damn good pitcher. And I still don't fully trust Chris Sale. I, I just can't. And he should have an advantage in this game because Phillies, a lot of their best hitters are, are left-handed. Schwarber, Brandon Marsh. Um, you know, that being said, Trey Turner and Nick Castellanos are off to good starts. So that could hurt him too. It's in Philly, a little bit of a bigger ballpark for him to work with. So if they're, you know, I don't know what the weather's going to be like in Philly. If the, if the wind is going to knock some balls down this, this weekend, or maybe they're, you know, in the middle of a, a, you know, a heat wave. I don't know, but I just can't trust sale to go head, you know, one-on-one with Zach Wheeler and beat him. So I'm going to take the Phillies in this one, although I will say I'm taking them reluctantly because I don't think they're all the way there. And it's mostly just because I think Wheeler will deliver a good enough performance. As good as the Red Sox offense is going, I think that he'll stifle them enough that I could see Philly winning this one like six to four. So I'll take the Phillies in game one. It's, you know, when I see Zach Wheeler pitching, I'm like, well, I'm not picking against Zach Wheeler. You know, what am I nuts? He's been so good for them consistently for the last three or four years. However long he's been there from the, from the jump, he's been, he's been a bona fide ace and, you know, had an injury history earlier in his career and has just been exactly uh, what the Phillies paid for. But we just tuned up Kevin Gosman today, who is the nastiest pitcher in MLB. I think, 24 strikeouts in his last two starts. I'm like, that's an automatic loss. I didn't say it. I did not say automatic. Uh, and it's a good thing because I'd be 0-4 if I did on my automatic uh, loss picks. But like Jason said, Chris Sale, I, I he's dominated the AL Central teams. He's got a 263 ERA in his three starts against the uh, AL Central. He has been obliterated by the American League East, has a 12.75 ERA, and every single one of those teams has a very robust offense, just like the Phillies do. Uh, So just out of principle, I can't pick Chris Sale in this matchup. I just, I'm going with, going with the Phillies game one. So I think we're two to one there. Nick, game two, Corey Kluber versus Bailey Falter, who has been faltering, a 5.01 ERA. No pun intended on that. He has not been very good this season whatsoever. Um, Make sure we also remember here on the Phillies, in their last seven games, their highest batting average for their player happens to be Nick Castellanos, who's hitting 208. The team is not doing great right now. So in my opinion, I think the Red Sox have caught the Phillies at the exact right time. And I think that this carryover from this great sweep of the Blue Jays is going to be transparent here very clearly in this series. 
Um, I'm going with the win. I think Kluber lucks out big time that he faces Bailey Falter. we got to remember, too, as much as Corey Kluber gave up the four walks in this last start against the Blue Jays, it still classifies as a quality start. So I have to give him two quality starts back-to-back. Let's go for three. Good things happen in threes. So let's go for a good quality start for this one. Um, just so we know on Falter's last start against the Astros, he took the loss. He went four and a third innings. He gave up four runs. And then they said hit the showers. He's going to hit the showers very, very soon in this Red Sox game on Saturday night. So in game one, I picked the Phillies because I told you Zach Wheeler, I respect him. Zach Wheeler is the only pitcher I respect on this staff right now. <laughs> um, the Phillies on, had a very opposite week of the Red Sox. They just got swept by the Dodgers, and they gave up 36 runs in three games. They lost 13-4, to 13-1, and 10-6. to six. And then, by the grace of God, had an off day on Thursday. Um not only does their starting pitching kind of blow right now outside of Wheeler, their bullpen blows. And Bailey Falter is not a good pitcher. Now, I'm not a believer in Corey Kluber. I think that he's a big-time weak spot in your rotation right now. But the way the Red Sox offense is going, I think they're going to put up a lot of hits. Connor Wong is probably going to get the start in this game. Falter's a left-hander, so, you know, we might see a power performance out of him again. Um, I just, I don't respect the Phillies pitching staff at all right now. So Kluber, I think is going to do his usual thing. He'll give up three, maybe four runs, but I could see the Red Sox just getting falter out of there early. Like Nick said, he'll hit the showers early. And then it's the Phillies bullpen, which is, I think a little bit of a train wreck. So I could see them putting on a hit parade and just, out slugging the Phillies in game two. So I'll take the Red Sox. Not a whole lot different from Jason here. Not going to lie. Um, I, I think it's going to be a, a high scoring game. Potentially. I think Corey Kluber could still get his ASS handed to him. Uh, but the difference is going to be the bullpens. Red Sox have a very good bullpen. Phillies have, I just had it here, the number 27th ranked bullpen, the Phillies bullpen ERA 5.59. And I I boldly said earlier, the Red Sox had a uh, top one or two bullpen. They're actually ninth now. So they have slipped, but it is a respectable 3.44. So, um, but still that's the difference to me. Uh, the Red Sox, have a knack for for tooling on bullpens you know and, and starting pitching as well bad starters so um I, I do give the edge uh to the phillies here it might be the first time all season i've picked Corey kluber uh to get a win or the red sox i should say to get a win on a Corey kluber start is uh is it so i am uh one to one on the series here uh, let's go ahead and go to game three. This is uh, notably a Sunday night game. It's the first ESPN game of the season. Um, oh, is that true? It's actually showing 
Uh, no, NBC it's on Sports. FS1. It's on FS1. No, that's on Saturday Sunday afternoon. Sunday. Yeah, this is a this is a one thirty five Sunday game. My bad. I'm, show, I'm showing the I same seeing? thing. I'm showing. Um, hold on. Yeah, no, you're right. Um, I might have done drugs earlier. I I didn't, but uh, what wh- wh- can Red, I say? Red Sox after a Red Sox like Phillies FS1 um, for one thirty five on Sunday. So I don't even know if it's on Nesson. No, it is. Yeah, Nesson is listed on the MLB site here. Uh, NBC. SP that must be the Phillies uh you know regional network. That's got to be the Phillies. Yeah. Name. So, my bad. I botched that one. 135 start which is typical and uh that's Tanner Houck versus Taiwan Walker. Nick, how do you have that one? I'm going with Houck with a bounce back here. I think that you'll see a win from Houck on that end. Taiwan Walker 2 and 2 691 ERA. This is a guy who's been around the block, played for almost every single team in baseball. I don't know if you guys looked at his track record from everything. Um, last season, he pitched for the Mets. He had a great year, went 12 and 5, had a, had a 349 ERA. Um, he got rocked, completely rocked by the Dodgers his last start. He gave up eight runs, um, three of which were home run balls. So, Red Sox lineup keeps on trucking and the team keeps on hitting. I think Walker will be tossing up some long balls to the Red Sox on Sunday afternoon. Big win for the Red Sox on Sunday. And for me, it will be a sweep. I am also going Red Sox for a Sunday. Taiwan Walker blows. Um, Terry, you, you, you asked the question on Twitter uh, earlier tonight. Uh, is Jacob deGrom the worst offseason signing? Taiwan Walker might give him a run for his money. Four years, $72 million. Ooh, the Phillies paid for Taiwan Walker. Um, he's making $18 million a year. He started six games so far this season. He's given up seven home runs. Um, and a lot of people would say, well, is he the Nick Pavetta? No, he's not the Nick Pavetta of the Phillies rotation. That's an insult to Nick Pavetta. Um, this guy gives up a ton of hits. Walks too many guys, gives up bombs. He's just not the same guy. This was such a bad signing by the Phillies. It's actually ridiculous. Um, I think Tanner Houck will do his job. He'll, you know, do enough to to stifle that Phillies lineup. I just think the Red Sox are going to tee off on Taiwan Walker. And that Phillies bullpen, I talked about it for the Saturday game. They're probably going to get to them. So that bullpen should be pretty tired heading into Sunday because they've had to do a lot of work so far this season. So I think you'll get Walker out of there early. You'll get a tired Philly bullpen. I could see the Red Sox putting up double digits, 10 or more runs on Sunday. Um, for all you DraftKings people, go ahead, put put that in as a bet. 10 or more runs for the Red Sox on Sunday. It's it, This should be a blowout. I'll take them to win on Sunday and a 2-1 series win for me. Walker gave up eight earned runs in his last start, only made it three and one third inning. That was against the Dodgers. The start before that gave up five earned runs on just four innings against the Seattle Mariners, who have been struggling quite a bit this year. Um, So he's coming off of his worst two starts, and he's got to face the hottest offense in Major League Baseball. I'm going to boldly say that... I don't know how many runs Walker's going to give up, but 
he'll only make it two and one third. I think he's going to have an even quicker hook uh, than what he had against the Dodgers. And possibly, I think for the first time this season, I am picking the Red Sox to win a series. The Phillies are just a mess right now. Just an absolute mess. And they got it together briefly. They they got to, um, I think, two games above 500. But I think they have since uh, slipped under. Not going to look it up. But... Um, they are 15 and 17 right 15 now. That is accurate. 17. 15 and 17. So they've lost four in a row. Um, so... Uh, yeah, so we all have the Red Sox winning. Uh, Nick has a sweep. Uh, Jason and I uh, have no confidence in Chris Sale. <laughs> that pretty much sums it up. Yeah. Okay, but- ca- careful what you wish for. I never said I have confidence in Sale. I just said a win. Just want to make sure that's crystal clear. <laughs> that's fair. I mean, we're pulling for you, Nick. We're pulling for the yeah. sweep. Yeah, but, we're. Uh, I know. I'd love it. Yeah, you know, we we got to be somewhat rational about this too. You know, with Chris that's Sale because. Right. Terry and I famously just have trust issues with him. So, uh, so that will do it for us tonight. Um, thank you everyone for tuning in. We're going to have our usual, uh, Red Sox or bastards roundtable episode coming up this weekend as well. So keep your eyes and ears open for that. And then the weekend crew will have you guys Monday morning to talk about the Philly series that we just previewed. So everyone, until then, have a great weekend and take care.